Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your mobile, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, the home of common sense. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. That's why uh, we are growing and growing faster than ever here uh, at Talk TV. Thank you very much indeed to everybody uh, who now watches us at 10 o'clock in the morning because it's the only place to be uh, to find out what's really going on. First of all, uh, it's going to be apparently the hottest day of the year so far, but it's going to be nothing on what's going to happen tomorrow, where apparently in some parts of this country it's going to be as hot as 33 degrees. Uh, that's rather warm. For those of you who only do in Fahrenheit. We'll give you a conversion chart a little bit later on. Uh, But it is hotting up here uh, in the midst of what can only be described as a whirlwind of news because we've got William Clouston to talk to this morning, who's the leader of the Social Democratic Party, always a very sensible man, uh, with an awful lot of sensible views. Now, uh, there are several things we need to discuss. To wit, uh, we need to talk about Dominic Raab and his quite rightly uh, formed opinion that we should not be being pushed around by these bozos at the European Court of Human Rights. We keep hearing all these lefties going on on and on and on and on and on about, oh, if we leave the European Convention on Human Rights, we won't have any rights. Really? Well, it seems like we haven't got any rights now. We've had three judges, right? Three judges, eminent judges in this country, from the High Court through to the Court of Appeal, through to the Supreme Court, who all said flying to Rwanda is not a problem. People can go there. It's not an unsafe country. Nobody's going to torture them. It'll be fine. They can leave. Instead of which, of course, we get all the lefty lawyers who are all making plenty of money off the old immigration scam. And they're all saying, yeah, but hang on, let's go to the ECHR and get them to give us a ruling. Is there anybody there at 11 o'clock at night? No, there's a bloke in a cupboard, though. Uh, He's a cleaner. He says we can't go. Right. So somebody in the ECHR cleaning department has basically overruled three judges of this sovereign nation. I'm not having it. Dominic Raab's not having it. I'm sure Boris Johnson is not having it. And I'm sure we will be changing it uh, forthwith. And I think uh, we'll all be a lot happier once that happens. The idea that somehow uh, we will join the pariah nations of the world because we won't have any human rights is complete and utter tosh, complete and utter nonsense. Coming up in the show, we're going to hear a speech from Grant Shapps at around about 10.30. He's going to be giving the government's line on the RMT strikes because don't forget next week kicking off on tuesday three days of strikes they're going to be one on tuesday thursday and saturday what do you think is going to happen on monday what do you think is going to happen on wednesday and what do you think is going to happen on friday yes you've guessed it there won't be any trains don't worry though you can always get the car we've just discovered however that petrol prices have been going up every single day for the past month We've only just heard some breaking news from the NHS that people are waiting longer and longer and longer, years in fact, to get basic operations in hospitals. We'll also be talking, of course, um, about something else later on. The interest rates are likely to go up. And if you're now struggling to pay your mortgage, if you're struggling to pay your bills, if you're struggling to pay for your weekly shop, that's going to get more expensive at 12 o'clock because the interest rates are likely to go up and it's likely to cause even more pressure on the financial system. The one story you won't hear me talking about this morning is Lord Geit, whatever his name is. Some bloke we've never heard of came into a job and then left. Bye. See ya. As I said, it was very nice not to meet you, my lord. (laughs) 
This is Talk TV. Let's do it. And so here we are, sitting high atop uh, the tower here at uh, London Bridge. I can see glimmering in the distance the Tower of London. It looks absolutely beautiful. It's a great day to be out and about. I've spent the last couple of days um, lunching, it has to be said, out in the open air. And it's been really nice. It's been like being on holiday. In fact, you don't even need to go on holiday. In fact, you don't actually manage to go on holiday these days. It's a great cartoon, The Telegraph, uh, where two people are standing watching the Rwanda plane not leaving. And one of them saying um, to the other, well, listen... Sitting on a plane for ages, waiting, waiting for it to go and being not surprised to find out it doesn't go anywhere. Surely that's enough to make people British citizens. I think you know what I'm saying. Let's talk to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party. William, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Nice to see you. Um, we seem to be, I was on Chris Evans' show a little bit uh, before this, telling him that it feels a bit like we're in this kind of um, circle of doom where we've got this big tractor and we're on a beach, but the sand is quite thick and the wheels are going round and round and round, but we're not really going anywhere. Um, we're using up quite a lot of fuel doing it, and it's quite expensive, but actually uh, we're not making any progress. What do you think? Well, that's true. I mean, I warned uh, a few months ago that the there were three basic problems with the government's approach. I mean, they've been asleep at the wheel on this, Mike. Mm. Everyone knows, you know, what what starts as a trickle ends up in a, a flood of migrants across the channel. You know, you've got 30,000 last year, Migration Watch are predicting 70,000 plus this year. Mm. They've let this problem get completely out of hand. Uh, and, the, and the policy response from the government has been inadequate. I mean, you know, I, I, I can appreciate the government are trying something with the Rwanda scheme, but I criticised it uh, a few months ago on the basis that it, it leaves the legal means in place to fetter the policy, right? Yeah. So they've left, they've left they have a policy. It's almost as if they want to be seen to try and deal with a policy um, and a problem rather than actually you know really dealing with yes because you know you've got to you any any unsolicited arrival all of them you have to uh, put into offshore processing if you want to deal with the problem now the rwanda scheme doesn't deal with that anyway but as i've said before it fetters uh, the policy to uh, a foreign state i think british overseas territories would be better used for this purpose and um you know you you've left the uh, outdated uh, post-war protocols which are you know are, are useless now and weren't you know the, the the situation we're facing now mike uh is totally different from the 50s mm. of course it is i mean it, like all things that we sort of somehow use as a guide even all the way down to something like council tax which we've been talking about for years needs to be recalibrated you know your band of whatever house you live in uh, is calibrated on a, on a scheme from 1992 you know i mean we're talking about you know 30 years ago aren't we yeah, we are. Well, yeah, I mean, this is that's that's council taxes. But this is this is a series of uh, post-war protocols which didn't envisage, uh, you know, massive uh, scale people. Yes, no, 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 I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is, is that almost all the things that we're looking at now are based on systems that were invented when there was a different scale of, of things. And the, and, yeah. and the times were very different. We're going to have the same argument with the RMT. Grant Shapps is going to get up today and say that basically the modern railway systems have not integrated with modern society. And they're still working on a model from the 1950s. You know, like do all the uh, engineering works at the weekend because nobody travels at the weekend. Well, that's not true anymore. Yeah, but we have a very... I mean, it's you talk about the model in railways. Peter Hitchens had a very, very good piece. I think it was yesterday in the, or to, this morning in the uh, comment yes. page of the mail. And I'm with him on this. I mean, you know, the, the model is completely wrong in this country. They've separated 
uh, network rail from the operators. The operators are phony. They're just t- taking a punt on a, a line. When it doesn't go wrong, the state picks up the, the bill. Mm. Uh, we need a we need a, a long term plan for this. We need we need a, a railway system we can be proud of. And I, I'm with Peter on this. I think the RMT, you know, they're doing their job actually. As I said before, yeah. I don't want to strike. I think they I'd knock their heads together and try and deal with it. But patronage is falling because of the pandemic. They need to try and hold the system together. But there's absolute from the Tories or Labour, there is no vision. There's nothing on railways. There's no attempt. To, to create an integrated system from mm. sort of Caithness to Cornwall that we could be proud of. Right. No, it's an absolute shambles. We'll come back to that. I didn't mean to derail you away from the uh, Rwanda mm. situation, but but my theme this morning, really, because I like to have a theme to the show, is mm. that we are kind of in this holding pattern where, as you say, yeah. lots of things are said to be being done, but in actual reality, not much is actually changing. No, they don't. I mean, that's the modus operandi. But, and it's partly because the people that govern us, the unserious people that govern us, are more concerned with headlines mm. than proper planning. They don't really roll their sleeves up and deal with anything. Mm. And, and I, I'm, I, it appalls me. The consequences, get back to the migrant uh, crisis, the consequences of this are, are, are unfathomable. I mean, apart from losing control, I mean, democratic control of your national border. Remember, the Tories in 2019 were elected on a mandate in their own manifesto to control the borders. That's what people voted for, and they haven't done it. They haven't, you know, they're not even close to doing it. Now, the consequences in terms of the cost to the public, you know, they're spending something like five million a day housing people in hotels. If you get your calculator out and do the maths, that's nearly two billion quid a year. You could house, we're in a housing crisis, Mike. We've told, we've talked about that at length. You could house 25,000 British people in houses for that money a year. Mm. That's how bad it is. Yes, absolutely. And that price will eventually increase as well, because clearly that's the, that's the finite number of people that are currently in hotels. But if we get another 50,000 people coming this year, you know, that num- number doubles, presumably, to 10 million a day. And, you know, I keep asking the same questions to people, because I think rather than arguing always about whether or not Rwanda is an option, whether Rwanda is the idea, the whole point of the problem here is that we have to stop these people coming, because nobody really knows how many people are here. There's plenty of evidence, I would suggest, that uh, says that many come in un counted unaccounted for because many people just step off a boat and walk into britain they don't go anywhere near the border force they don't go anywhere near uh, the home office they just are here and then we've got people in hotels many people tell me up and down the country that their local hotel is full you can't get a booking there for two years because they've been booked out by the home office for two years it's a massive Mm. problem that's affecting ordinary people in this country and all we've got is a collection of lefty lawyers i mean not surprisingly there's a, a poll in the mail today in which basically Everyone uh, is broken down now on terms of whether they're a Tory party voter or a Labour party voter, mm. a Lever or a Remainer. And of course, mm. the Remainers and the, and the Labour party voters all think that immigration uncontrolled is great. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's true. I mean, there's a lot in that. The, 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 remember that the consensus for very high immigration spans both right and left. I mean, a lot of uh, left progressives or uh, you know liberal progressives, I prefer to call them, yeah. uh, want as many... Uh, people to arrive and settle here as possible. I mean, that's what their stated aim is. But mm. remember, Mike, a lot of the sort of libertarian free trade right also want a lot of people. They want cheap wages. They want uh, downward pressure on, on, on wages here. So they've always been in favour of a of, of very liberal open labour market. So actually, the British people are getting sandwiched 
you know, between the two. Uh, and you you want a sensible policy. The yeah, but those, that... yeah, but the difference between those two groups, though, I would say, William, is that those if if they're free trade sort of you know fundamentalists on the right, they do mm. not want uncontrolled immigration from any quarter. They want it for people who can do the jobs that aren't being done here. Yeah, but they're, they're, whenever we make a case for training a few people here, there are howls about it. I mean, that's the problem. And I've said before, you know, mass mass immigration of the type that we've had, we need a break from it. I've argued yeah. for a mass immigration pause. Let's get to know each other. Yeah. Better for social cohesion, better in all sorts of mm. ways. They just can't do it. We're governed by... But to get back to the incentives, I think that's what you're driving at. Um, we're governed by people that don't grasp the incentives. Yeah. The migrants on the channel ask, are acting rationally. I've made this point several times. Why wouldn't you, for the price, five 5,000 euros, rock over here? You won't be removed. Very, very few. No, you won't be. Take a little pause there, though, because we've got to stop. We'll come back to it, William. Um, we've got William Clouston here. He's leader of the Social Democratic Party. We're talking about a great many things this morning. The theme uh, is that nothing is really changing, and it needs to. This is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We're talking to William Clouston. William, sorry, I interrupted you there in full flow when you were talking about how the, the migrants are operating sort of rationally. I mean, I, I agree with you to a point, but I also believe that what is not being played uh, up as much as it should be is the criminal side to this whole enterprise. Because my belief is that an awful lot of these people are on these boats because they've been kind of almost press-ganged into going on them. They're not that bothered about coming here, but they're told that if they come here, they'll have a better life. They're also told um, that they can come for free, but then they will owe the money to the traffickers. And I think that's how this whole system works, that, you know, the traffickers then yeah. get these people to go to work for them. So they're not actually benefiting us. They're not doing jobs that we need them to do. They're working in a sort of criminal economy. They are. That's absolutely true. It's, it's a form of modern slavery, yeah. actually. You should call it out as to, as to what it is. Uh, the problem is the, the authorities in this country don't actually regulate. Maybe they don't have the resources to or the will to, but they don't actually regulate a lot of these pockets of modern slavery. Right. Uh, you know, there have been reports in the press over many, many years, last 10 years, about people working in hand car washes up and down the country who are not paid properly. A lot of them are, are, are basically fettered in this way. They're, they're, they've come over illegally. They don't have any bargaining power because they are here illegal, illegally and, and they're getting, uh, you know, exploited. That's not a good situation, but that's a product if you have a government that doesn't take borders seriously. That's yeah. what we've got. Well, that's what we've got. But, I mean, at the same token, we've got this European Convention on Human Rights. We're told by people on the left and some lefty lawyers that if we somehow take a break, break away from that, uh, that we will be amongst the pariah nations of the world, like Russia, uh, with uh, Greece after a coup, that kind of thing. You know, I don't agree that that's the case, because I think no. there's an awful lot about the ECHR uh, that we don't need. And, in fact, oh. we could per perfectly easily have our own... Bill of Rights, where people's yeah. rights would be protected. And I think it's a sort of Ramona-led load of nonsense that we must stay part of this thing in order to be civilised. Yeah, well, ironically, Mike, actually, there was speculation that the judge that made the intervention on the Rwanda flight may have been a Russian judge. I don't think we know yet, actually. It could well, well they're, they're, they're refusing to identify who it was. The other suggestion yeah. is it might not even be an actual judge. I mean, it could be mm. a judge in name, but it might not mm. be somebody who's actually got a grasp of what the legality of this situation is. And, and in fact, the decision was probably more than likely to have been made without even looking at the court documents. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, Mike. I prefer these important political questions. Are you going to argue that border control and immigration policy and migration policy isn't a democratic question? Mm. It is. It's a democratic question. It should be down to the voting public to elect a government capable 
of taking action. If, it, if, if we voted for that, that's what we should get. What I'm not into is this sort of judicial activism and a deliberate structure. I mean, a lot of the, the people you're talking about prefer a world where things are structured for the really important questions to be taken mm. off the table. Don't worry about the little people. Don't worry about uh, democracy. Let's take these decisions behind closed doors or by courts or whatever. No, they're democratic decisions and the public should be able to vote a government capable of implementing a plan. And that's what that's what the problem is. I, I agree with you. I don't doubt at all we can get a British Bill of Rights that suits us mm. and that doesn't fetter these things to to. to uh, to foreign courts. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, of course, the other argument that people make is that if um, the Tory party wants to make law, uh, it should make law through the House of Commons, which I also kind of go along with. But in this mm. case, um, we've reached the point where we are, where this has to stop, because otherwise people are coming now in even bigger numbers after what happened over the last couple of days. So we'll be seeing thousands and thousands coming over the next few weeks. The weather's going to be pretty decent. It's a nice yeah. day. It's a nice day for a little sail across the channel. And, you know, yeah. this is not... People talk about it being treacherous and deadly. I mean, mm. you know, yes, there have been fatalities and yes, there have been accidents, but not many. It's a very small percentage of people who don't make it across. No, that's, that's true. I mean, I, I've made a film, actually, that'll be published in the next couple of weeks, 10 Truths About the Migrant Crisis. And I hope people will enjoy having a look at that. Oh, good, yeah. yeah. Where can they see that? Well, it's, it'll be it'll be on my. I will share it through Twitter, and it'll be on the SDP's YouTube, YouTube okay. channel. We thought very like a lot of the other things we do. We thought very carefully about it, and think we've got it right, and we've got the policy right. But mm. yeah, just to return to the, the the question of the protocols, the the, the problem is, Mike, is it, it, it's down to numbers, right? So you know, under the fifty one Refugee Convention and the and the and the fifty three uh, European Convention, basically anyone. You know, half, half, there are billions of people that would qualify for that. Any China, think about it, any Chinese Democrat would qualify. Mm -hmm. Any uh, homosexual in many, many parts of the world would qualify. Anyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, half of all Afghan women would probably qualify. So what you're saying is that as, as unamended, I mean, if we accept the protocols as they are, I think they're outdated now, but if we accept them as they are, billions of people will qualify to come to Britain mm. and stay here. Now, we've now got criminal gangs capable of transporting them. So the two, those two things together just aren't going to work, I'm afraid. No, they really aren't. And as we've said at the, the top of the show, you know, times have changed. We're in a very different world. We are in a place where, uh, as you say, people can move around with great ease. And let's face it, one of the reasons that the, 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 the boat started to come was because we were quite successful in closing off the lorry method of coming over. You know, there was a time when more people came in lorries. Now hardly anybody does because they've made that secure. So they need to treat this the same way and make it impossible. And once again, uh, there's, been, always been, there's been plenty of solutions offered up. Mm. Take them to Rwanda if you can. Fine, if that works, great. I'd like it to. But, you know, at the same time, make it impossible for the boats to leave the shores of Normandy by, well, you, I, by any I, number I, of different means. As I've said many times before, Mike, we're not asking for very much. I think the majority of the British people are not asking for very much. What we're asking is to control who comes into this country and on what terms they come in. We're a democratic state. We should have that. Now, on the question, if you closed off the illegal routes, I agree we should close those off. And then you know what would happen? More deserving migrants would come. Women and children in UN camps in proper war zones, they would be, they would be the ones you prioritise. That's yeah. what we should be doing, not... Uh, you know, on Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, a small boat arrived. I think a Tory MP, I can't remember his name, commented, 
and he said it was th 30 lads, Albanian uh, uh, young young men. Now, Albania is not a war zone. It's an, you know, the EU are talking about it being a member state. Come off it. Mm. There, are, there, are, there are more deserving people. And if you had a proper system, you'd be able to prioritise those people. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's finish up with a bit on the cost of living. We're likely to see an interest rate rise at midday today, uh, which yeah. could have quite a devastating effect on people who pay mortgages. I know that there's an awful lot of people who might not feel particularly sorry for people paying mortgages, but many people in this country have a mortgage. Many of them are just about getting by. And if the mortgage goes up, they're going to be in uh, trouble the waters, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, unfortunately, we, I mean, this is this is a, an inflationary crisis as well now and we and, the, and as usual it wasn't predicted by economists if you look at the predictions from a year ago uh, basically very few of them saw this coming but now as it's taken hold obviously uh, Jay Powell in the states they they uh, uh, increased their uh, base rate by three quarters of a percent uh, it's forecast they'll go even higher so yeah I'm, I'm afraid we're we're likely to ramp up now and have some base rate increases which will be straight onto the mortgage and unfortunately, uh, that that is basically like a tax, Mike. Mm. It's basically money straight out of what people have in the household budget uh, and and into the bank. So it's it's very concerning. We we shouldn't forget. I mean, in all the talk about um, cost of energy, which is a, a very serious matter, the basic problem in this country is that housing is too expensive. Housing is the biggest cost most families and households mm. face. And we should, we should get building. Uh, you know what my views are on this are. We should get building, build some houses, reduce immigration, and you might have a chance of solving the problem. Yeah, absolutely. You just can't keep putting fuel on the same fire and expect it not to get bigger. William, thank you very much indeed. William Plouston there, leader of the Social Democratic Party. Lots to think about, lots to chew over. Many, many interesting things to uh, debate there. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Jennifer says this, it seems all lefty opposition to everything that could work for the long-term good have no sense of loyalty to the country and are unwilling to put the country first. How true. This is Talk TV. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock. Kevin O'Sullivan here, of course, with the uh, uh, the, the show uh, from one until four. And then lots more going on. I'm actually doing breakfast tomorrow, believe it or not. Uh, I'm also doing the talk tonight. So uh, I might have to have a sleep this afternoon, I suppose. You have to do what you can. Uh, lots and lots of people getting in touch about all manner of things. We'll be reading out lots of your tweets, of course. Mike says, Graham in Nottingham, if Starmer stopped watching Star Wars and Love Island, he could use that time coming up with some policies. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that poor old Keir Starmer doesn't seem to know quite where he's going. Last week, he actually attacked the NHS, which is something he hardly ever do does, because he's always banging on about, oh, my mother worked in the NHS, you know, my wife works in the NHS, even though she's an NHS lawyer. Uh, he goes out banging on about the NHS being the jewel in the crown of British democracy. Um, but last week, he attacked it. And in fact, he attacked ambulance times, funnily enough, um, which is something which is absolutely acutely problematic right now. People cannot get ambulances. And if they do uh, phone up to get one, they get told that they'll be waiting hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, there's a new story out this morning uh, in which it says basically um, that people are being told uh, there's another crisis on the waiting list front uh, because um, another record high has been hit. 6.5 million patients stuck in a queue for routine operations like hip and knee replacements. And I know from talking to many of you who get in touch with me here on Talk TV that you're going private because you don't really have any choice. Let's talk now uh, to Dr. Charles Levinson, uh, Doctor and Chief Executive of Dr. Call. Charles, very good morning to you. Welcome. 
Morning, morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for uh, for joining us. Another sort of shocking tale, I suppose, that we're looking at this morning. 6.5 million patients stuck in a queue for hip and knee replacement operations, which should be relatively straightforward. I mean, I say that as a layman, obviously, but, but you know, they seem to be on the easier scale uh, of operations to do. You know, it's almost like you should be able to do those on a kind of conveyor belt basis, shouldn't you? Yeah, I so the system is... Uh, has been at capacity so it's been creaking under under the strain anyway and mm. um and we've then had this huge backlog that's uh, as a result of lockdown and it's not just people who haven't had their hip and knee replacements but there is there is a big backlog of them but there's also people who are um unwell because they haven't had they've they ha- haven't had their illnesses picked up and yeah. or they, or they, and so on so so um so yeah so there there is just a huge backlog and amount of pressure on the nhs at the moment there really is but i mean as often as we talk about this and as often as i've raised it over the course of time you know it doesn't appear to be any uh, progress being made you know you don't see anybody sort of squirreling away in a corner of the department of health saying right let's attack ambulance waiting times or let's make sure that these backlogs are somehow reduced i mean all we see is backlogs going up and numbers increasing and waiting times increasing we saw that terrible video last week from an A&E department where the nurse basically said it's going to be a seven hour wait to see a doctor some of you will be here for 13 hours yeah no it's and a lot of it is down to logistics and ambulance waiting times are uh, which you've just mentioned are, are absolutely crucial the, the there are a number of conditions where you where minutes matter to yeah. get uh, um, treatment a stroke or a heart attack it is it's all about getting treatment very very quickly and the um and you know if it, it, it is just logistics if if amazon prime can get my parcel out to me <laughs> tomorrow you know it, it this this has to be a top priority to get to get have a system that works and it is it, it it is just about having proper systems in place. Yes. Well, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea, and I would I would welcome somebody looking at it to get some of the dispatchers through Amazon involved in dispatching ambulances because there's clearly a problem on the ambulance front. One, they get people into an ambulance too late. Two, they get into a hospital and then they can't get them out of the ambulance because apparently there's either no room for them inside the A and E or because they haven't been tested for COVID, and then the ambulance is sort of stuck there with somebody in it for hours and hours and hours and hours and it can't go out and get anybody else well that's one of the things that uh, uh, that makes recruitment and retention of staff in the nhs so difficult is that it's really demoralizing working in a system where even if you do your bit right um it, it isn't going to work because the patient isn't going to get uh the next bit that they need and so it's, it's a pleasure being part of a well-oiled machine i'm nick friedman I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It is not, it is, it is completely demotivating uh, trying to work in a system where, where you uh, send your patient to the next place and, and, and the whole thing grinds to a halt. Yes. But again, you know, who's going to fix it? You know, is it going to be Sajid Javid? Should he not give it out to some organisation? Should there not be some segmentation of the NHS so that somebody can take a part of it and say, right, we're going to concentrate on this bit. We're going to fix this bit. We're going to fix GP surgeries. We're going to fix GP appointments. We're going to make sure that everybody who wants a GP's appointment face to face can get one. Well, I mean, I was hoping, Mike, you weren't going to ask me how to fix the NHS, because that, that's... Well, um, I'm not asking you <laughs> to fix the, the NHS, question. but what I'm asking... Well, well, yeah. well, let me ask you a simpler question, perhaps. Yeah. Surely what we need is a methodology for fixing it before we start well, fixing it, i.e. fix a bit at a time. Yeah, I do. I think we need to look at each bit separately, don't we? And and with... um, So with ambulances, as which we've just been talking about, that's just a matter of a, having a good dispatch mm system and and at doctor call we have a good dispatch system which is is based on the type that we've taken it from industry it's the based ours is based on the type that uber uses that that sort of mm. algorithm to get uh optimize the doctor's drive time so they can get there quickly and and um and and they need to yeah they need to up their game and get a uh, and and look to the commercial world where uh, to get to get um ideas and expertise as well yes i think that's right but then if they if you can do it and i know they're obviously working on a grander scale um surely they could roll something like that out in every kind of health trust in the country yeah yeah, they are obviously doing on a grander scale but the thing about computers is they don't mind a bigger scale in fact uh the busier we are the better our algorithm works Mm. because it 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 can it doesn't it can count a hundred doctor visits or a thousand doctor visits just as quickly and and so so um yeah there, there is absolutely no reason they couldn't do that no exactly right so as far as what you're seeing just from your own business are you seeing more patients kind of coming to the private sector because they simply are so frustrated that they can't get anything done well we are very busy i'm not sure that we're getting a drift to the private sector i think it's just both sectors are busy and um and it's because there's this huge backlog and because people have become unhealthy over lockdown mm. and um and so, and so, there's a lot of illness there, a lot of uh, 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 um, morbidity, which is is sort of feeding through. So there's more. What you mean, more people are dying? Well, more people are dying. More people are um, there's, but not. I think a lot of of what we're seeing is is the thing with a long tail, which isn't necessary. We're not necessarily going to see the problem that you know we're not. I think more people are going to die younger. I, yeah. I think I would be very surprised if the more if the age of mortality doesn't fall over uh, um, the next period. Because, yeah. but it takes a very long time. Things like diabetes they don't, they they take a very long time to uh, um, affect you to make you ill. And and we're, that's the the sort of thing which is beginning to sort of feed through now through after yeah. after 
everything went on hold for a few years during lockdown. Yes. So I don't think it's going to get any uh, better before it gets any worse by the sounds of things. Dr. Charles Levinson, thank you very much indeed. I uh, got this from somebody who doesn't give a name. Last August, I fell and broke my leg, called for an ambulance. And he said it would be two hours to get to me. I live in Market Drayton. Eight and a half, eight and a half hours later, an ambulance came. I sat in the rain, uh, watched two ambulances go past me. And I've never had an answer from the NHS and the ambulance services. Uh, it is an absolute joke. Well, I think a lot of people would absolutely uh, concur with that. Breaking news. Oscar-winning actor for Kevin Spacey has been granted unconditional bail uh, after appearing at Westminster Magistrates Court where he did not enter pleas to four charges of sexual assault and one other charge uh, as well. We'll keep you updated with that, of course, uh, as and when. We've got Grant Shapps uh, making a statement about the RMT strike, which is all happening next week. We'll also have the interest rates likely to rise, uh, which are likely to affect anybody paying a mortgage, but also likely to affect the inflationary spiral that we find ourselves in. We've got loads of calls to take from you. We will take them. Uh, Coming up next, this is Talk TV. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Hottest day of the year so far, so if you are out and about... Do you know what they do, by the way? If you're listening to the BBC or watching it, they go, remember to drink plenty of fluids. Yeah, right then. Anything else? What about some sun cream? Yeah, and maybe a hat. Hmm. And don't sit out in the sun directly at midday, because, you know... Only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. I mean, you know, you're talking about the news here. You're not some ludicrous public service announcement. I would say to you, take plenty of fluids as well. That's what I did yesterday. It was a great idea, I can tell you. Ben Clapworthy is here because Grant Shapps has been telling people... Uh, Simon Calder, sorry, is here. I beg your pardon. Um, he is here to tell us about what precisely Grant Shapps has been doing and why he's been doing it. Uh, Simon, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Mike. Always uh, good to talk to you. Yes. And here we are on the good old rail beat again. Of course, just a reminder that we have got massive strikes, biggest for three decades, starting on next Tuesday, the 21st, then the 23rd, then the 25th of June. And the strikes are time so that there's also going to be disruption on the Wednesday, the Friday and the Sunday as well. So what Grant Shapps has been saying is effectively trying to override the unions appealing direct to the rail workers and saying you are going to be quote striking yourselves out of jobs Mm. the rail industry is a complete mess as you and i mike have discussed in the past um one million pounds an hour in subsidy that's been paid to the uh uh, to to, to keep trains running during the covid pandemic very often when there was nobody on them at all Mm. um the unions are saying we don't want to change a single thing about our the way we work um the employers network rail 13 train operators say oh come on guys um you know have a look at your trains there are not so many people on them and we're losing money even faster than we were before we've got to modernize um but the unions say nope um we uh, effectively uh, we know you've got loads of money because you're the government really and um and we'd like some of it please. yes and I think the problem for a lot of people here is that while they might have some sympathy for the unions, and many people have said to me, Simon, in what I regard as quite a remarkably open-minded view, you know, yes, of course they should try and get better paying conditions for their members. It's all very well. It's all understandable. But the, the, the nature of the way that they've planned these strikes has meant basically they're going to take the whole system out of play for about eight to nine days, it seems to me. Because if you start striking on a Tuesday, you know as well as I do, there'll be a lot of people throwing a sickie on Monday. You know, Sunday's trains are already screwed up. So you're going to go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, first day of the strike. Wednesday, next day, meh, probably not going to be any trains. Thursday, another day of the strike. Friday, trains are back, but not. 
Saturday. You know, suddenly seven days to Saturday and Sunday, no trains really. Um, it's going to be carnage, isn't it? Well, the, the message from the train operators is, uh, is your journey really necessary, effectively? And they've put out a map showing where the trains are going to be running. There's only going to be trains between 7.30 in the morning and 6.30 in the evening. Basically, if you're in London or you're going on the main intercity routes, for instance, to Bristol, to, to Cardiff, um, to Manchester, to uh, Newcastle and Edinburgh, then you'll sort of be all right within those time frames. Mm. But I'm afraid if you're in Wales, well, you can go anywhere you want to on the train as long as it's Cardiff. That's about <laughs> it. Everywhere else in the country is uh, cut off. In Scotland, you wouldn't want to be going any further north than Falkirk. Um, which is sort of halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh, yes. um, and vast swathes of um, England as well. No trains at all in Cornwall, for it's example, be or in Dorset. Nightmarish. And I mean, not that you or I uh, would give a stuff probably about people off to Glastonbury for a jolly weekend, but uh, I believe they're going to be affected. So the roads are going to be absolutely crammed, aren't they? Well, uh, that, that's part of the problem, actually. And um, one of the reasons that the RMT gives for striking is to say that network rail in particular wants to make things less safe. Mm. Network rail absolutely flatly denies this. But if you're concerned about safety, then sending the millions of people who would normally be traveling by rail onto the roads is going to increase risk. And yes. we've also had the chief executive of the Nighttime Industries Association saying, come on, if you're stopping trains at half past six in the evening, that's going to put people who work in hospitality and indeed punters who want to go right. out for the night, uh, that's going to put them at risk. Um, so it's, it's an unholy mess, but the unions say we worked all the way through the COVID pandemic. Um, and we're not going to countenance any, any reduction in our terms and conditions. And, um, uh, ultimately, and it does remind me, uh, you wouldn't remember this, Mike, but um, I do, uh, sort of late 1980s, the idea that the railways were kind of in long-term decline, but ultimately the government had loads of money and mm. they could um, throw more in their direction. And that, that sort of seemed to work. And um, uh, the rail unions believe we are now back in that territory. Yes. Well, funnily enough, the sort of he said, she said blame game has begun because um, Shapps apparently has dismissed a claim by Mick Lynch, the leader of the RMT, that the railways made £500 million profit last year. He's saying that's simply not true. He says they cost over £20 billion a year to run um, and they raised just £4 billion from fares and other revenues. So they're not making any money, according to Grant Shapps. The other thing about the safety is that he says... The railways are still stuck in the sort of 1950s and they've refused to move on. And they keep talking about having to walk along the tracks to check the tracks for whether or not there's anything on them rather than actually using technology, which does sound a bit mad. Uh, yeah, and that's very much the message from Network Rail. We've got to modernise. Yes, we'll need fewer people, but that's kind of just the inevitability. But it's no more dangerous, progress. though. Um, well, um, the, the, the railways are incredibly safe. Now, we very, very sadly see um, some tragedies involving rail workers, um, but passenger safety is is uh, generally uh, very good. We had the tragedy in, in Scotland um, uh, a year ago. Mm. But in general, comparing railways with roads, I mean, there, there is they're just completely separate planets in terms of, mm. of, of safety. Um, and the other aspect about that 500 million pounds, what the union actually said was that's been paid to companies who have made profits of that amount. Mm. So 
it's not that 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 of the um, billions that have been spent on the railways, they're automatically um, putting all that in their back pocket and um, uh, going off to Barbados. Yes, no, because they already have houses there, so they're probably already there. Um, that's fine. <laughs> that's also, I mean, the trouble is, I don't think there's any doubt. I think we can probably all agree that the the the, the, the trains and the systems by which the trains operate could be modernised because we've had several cases, haven't we, in the past where there's been disputes about whether guards should be on trains and then suddenly the guards disappear when more money is offered to the people who are hanging around, you know. So it's not as if you absolutely have to have guards on trains to stop people from, you know, falling out of them. Um, it's a union position, which they're quite probably right to hold, but it's not necessary. Well, well there's all sorts of practices. I mean, for example, in many, many situations... Working on Sundays is entirely done with overtime. Yes. The idea that in a, uh, an industry which clearly offers a seven-day-a-week service that you should actually have to be required to turn up for a Sunday um, is, um, uh, is quite surprising. Indeed, of course, the train operators have found various workarounds to that. But even in Scotland, where they look as though they're getting towards a dispute with the train drivers, um, one of the things is by 2027, we hope to have Sundays as part of the normal working week. I mean, you, you mentioned you know, practices locked in the um, in, in the 1950s. I'd yes. say probably some of them are locked in the 1850s, when, which even I can't remember. It's extraordinary. Well, as ever, uh, we're indebted to you. Thank you very much indeed, Simon Calder. They're updating us on what will be absolute and utter carnage on the railways as of next week, and probably kicking off as of Sunday, because unfortunately, the week does begin for an awful lot of people on Sunday. Most of the people in the RMT don't work on a Sunday unless they get paid overtime. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's quite remarkable. So we'll talk about that coming up in the next hour because if you're trying to get anywhere by train next week on any day, whether there's a proper strike going on or not, I think you're going to find it incredibly difficult. Grant Shapps has appealed to the ordinary people working on the trains, saying your union leaders are taking you down a bad road. The way to do this, right, would be to do, as I've said before, what Ronald Reagan did to the air traffic controllers in the 1980s. They all went out on strike. He fired them all. Said, thanks very much indeed. There's no need to come back to work. You're out. Uh, and you hired a new lot, new more people, um, and everything was fine. Planes didn't fall out of the sky. Nobody died. You know, the point is, that can be done. And if the unions are that hot on holding up the country and holding the country to ransom, I think that's what has to happen. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV, with you all the way through until one o'clock. Of course, it is Thursday, so Helena Nicklin uh, will be along. She'll be bringing some Thursday cheer uh, with the Thursday club, of course. So uh, if you are out and about, just remember, uh, fluid's very important, uh, as they say, uh, but it uh, doesn't really matter, does it, uh, what kind of fluids you're taking. Why do people insist on giving out information uh, on health without you asking for it? I start to get really... Um, cheesed off I think is the word I'm looking for uh, by people who consistently want to tell me exactly what I should be doing now I can tell you, breaking news, the Bank of England has raised interest rates to 1.25% from 1%, that's the highest since January 2009 now we said this would be happening we will be talking about this because we need to know from you guys whether you understand what that means for you and for the household economy that you run because if you've got a mortgage it means the mortgage probably will go up unless you've got a fixed rate tariff which isn't going to change uh, it's probably also going to mean that food is going to go up in price 
probably everything else will go up in price as well. It does mean if you've got some savings, you might eke out a little bit more from your savings account, but not really very much, I'm afraid. Um, But this comes in the wake of what happened in the United States of America as well, uh, where yesterday the US Fed actually increased interest rates for the biggest number in 28 years, right? So US interest rates jumped by the largest margin in almost three decades last night. Uh, They went from 1% to 1.75%, and they said more was to come later this year. And that, in turn, put pressure on the Bank of England to raise their own interest rates to 1.25% today. So the highest since January 2009. Uh, So that's a very long time ago, isn't it? Like 13 years ago. Extraordinary. So we'll talk about that. Uh, We will take your calls on it as well. What does it mean? What will it mean for your mortgage? If you know that, uh, do let us know. We'll be trying to find out for you as well. Right now, though, let's talk to Rakib Hassan, Dr. Rakib, indeed, social policy analyst and writer, of course, uh, because he's got plenty to say about what's been going on over the last few days with the European Court of Human Rights, the reaction in this country to it, because what we've learned over the course of the last couple of days is that it's very interesting, once again, how this country breaks down political arguments so that most of those people who are uh, Tory voters, most of those people who are uh, Brexiteers think that the Rwanda idea is a good one. Most of those people who vote Labour and who, in fact, voted to remain in the European Union think that it's a bad one. And they're very happy to see the European Court of Human Rights stepping in uh, to sort of rescue the day, as it were, and prevent anybody from going to Rwanda. It looks now as though the government is considering leaving uh, the European Convention on Human Rights. I think they should. I don't think there's any possible way that we should be uh, in hock to these maniacs who operate out of Strasbourg and who seemingly willy-nilly decide that what our judicial system decides for our own country and for our own benefit and for our own foreign and domestic policy is not right, will get stuffed. No thanks. Uh, non, in fact. Um, let's talk to Dr. Rakib. How are you, Dr. Rakib? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Good to talk to you. Um, fascinating, isn't it, how sociologically now Brexit has not only affected people's attitudes towards Europe, uh, people's attitudes towards, um, you know, global kind of domination by particular trading groups, but they've actually now sort of decided almost everything along those lines. So, so you know, if you voted to remain in the European Union, you have to like this or, or hate that. It's very weird, isn't it? Well, I think when it comes to those culture issues, uh, Mike, uh, including immigration, asylum, more broadly border security, the way one voted in the 2019 general election is a pretty strong predictor mm. in terms of how they feel about those kind of issues, what kind of policy positions they support. Uh, in terms of the UK-Rwanda migration partnership, it does look like the majority of Conservative Party voters and Leave voters, um, if you treat them as two separate groups, the majority are supportive mm. of the UK-Rwanda partnership. While there, Meanwhile, there are high levels of rejection among Labour Party voters and those who voted Remain back in June 2016. So I think that demonstrates to you how politically polarised uh, the country is, especially along party lines. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as the sort of immigrant population is concerned, because you and I speak about this quite a lot, mm. an awful lot of people have come to this country legally, an awful lot of mm. people have come here to start businesses, they've got family here genuinely. You know, when I, they must sit and watch this whole sort of, you know, circus and say, well, it's all very well some bloke landing on the, on the beaches of Dover and saying, oh yeah, I've got a brother that lives in Leicester. Um, but I haven't got any papers, so I can't prove who I am. Um, so mm. I might be his brother, I might not be. Well, I'd, I'd make the point that some of the most conservative attitudes you'll find when it comes to matters of immigration and border security are within established migrant communities living in the UK. 
which includes people who are foreign born and they they followed the rules essentially they went through the appropriate procedures uh, they went through rigorous assessments before relocating to mm. the UK. So na naturally, uh, those groups in British society will be especially sensitive when it comes to the high levels of illegal immigration. Yeah, absolutely right. And you've got a piece in The Telegraph today, uh, Rakib, talking about mm. the kind of liberal left sneering, because there's two things going on here, it seems to me. One... Um, that it's almost racist, I would say, for people to assume that Rwanda, because it's a country in Africa, is somehow not safe, is somehow Absolutely. horrible, is somehow some god-awful hellhole that you're going to dispatch people to where the harm is going to be done to them. None of that's true, right? All of it is wrong. And yet, that's the narrative that the left is pushing. Well, I think it's remarkable. I think um, liberal left quarters, especially in British politics uh, and the media, They've revealed their prejudices mm. uh, when it comes to their uh, thoughts on Rwanda, underdeveloped thoughts, uh, may I add. The reality of the matter is that Rwanda is an aspirational member of the Commonwealth. Mm. It's made significant forms of economic, political and social progress since the 1994 civil war, which which descended into full-blown genocide. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, li liberal left uh, um, quarters in uh, in Britain, they love to talk a great deal about female representation, for example, in politics. Uh, Rwanda has the highest rate of female participation in its legislature in the entire world. Yes. Uh, and uh, women in Rwanda play an integral part in both of the country's public and private sectors. And they're, and they're playing a very important part in trying to drive Rwanda uh, when it comes to its own goals in terms of becoming a middle-income country by 2035 and a high-income country by 2050. But you don't hear that very much no. from the Liberal left. No, but also the UNHCR, the charity um, mm. part arm of, of, uh, um, of the United Nations, which basically rescues and looks after refugees around the world, has airlifted loads of refugees into Rwanda, mostly from Syria, uh, but also from other uh, parts of Africa. Yeah, and so, if, so if it's good enough for the uh, UNHCR, you know, then of course it's good enough for the UK. And so why should it not be good enough for the European Court of Human Rights? Well, I, th I think there's been a great deal of hypocrisy here. Mike, I think that you, you, we've heard criticisms among EU representatives when it comes to the UK-Rwanda partnership, also criticisms within the UN. Mm. But there have been schemes involving the EU and the UN which have relocated migrants to countries including Rwanda, mm. but other countries such as um, uh, Niger in West Africa. Yeah. Which, which are, are Rwanda is a country that's helped to fight the jihadist insurgency in Mozambique. Hmm. Meanwhile, meanwhile um, Niger has very serious problems when it comes to Islamist terrorism. Right. So if, if if it's okay to relocate migrants to Niger, why is it such a problem now for the UK to participate in this migration partnership with Rwanda? Yes. Well, this is where again the left is kind of slightly hypocritical and mixed up because uh, the Labour Party under Sir Keir Starmer doesn't appear to have any official policy in mm. which they state that they're either against the the the, the, the setting up of um, of either internment camps for for illegal migrants or the setting up of places to go in Rwanda or the idea of shipping uh, these people off somewhere else. He doesn't seem to have a policy on it at all. But individual Labour MPs are talking about the movement, uh, talking about how they don't want any uh, planes to go to Rwanda. They want all uh, dinghies and, and uh, migrant boats to be welcomed into Britain. You know, there seems to be no actually cogent policy coming from the Labour Party. Well, that comes as no surprise to me <laughs> at all, Mike, if truth be told. But an interesting point that I've made in the past, and it's something that we've discussed, 
if you want to have a well-functioning, comprehensive welfare state, you have to have a stable national membership, which is bonded by social trust and mutual respect. The issue that we have here is that high levels of illegal immigration, that can place a serious strain on social cohesion, especially in the more deprived parts of our country. And I don't think that's talked about enough. And the reality of the matter is a lot of people who talk about uh, these uh, safe and legal routes, essentially they're calling for the dismantling of the UK's national borders in the name of maximising global welfare. What we need is a radically streamlined asylum system which prioritises those who are most at risk of persecution in their homelands. Mm. Uh, I've often talked about women and girls who are at risk of gender-based violence, sexual violence in their homelands. Because at the moment, Mike, we have a dysfunctional system which is based on survival of the fittest. Yeah. Um, largely a able-bodied single young men were being illegally imported into the UK by criminal people smuggling enterprises. Yeah. Well, that's it's right. Not sustainable. Well, interestingly enough, we just had a caller before the uh, the news at midday who said he works in the system and he says that the reason why a lot of the young men are coming and because they are young men who come is because they claim asylum basically as children. They claim that they're underage and therefore they can become eligible for a council house when they're 18. But while they are in care, that eats up quite a lot of time for them to supposedly be in the country. Therefore, by the time it comes around to whether or not they can stay, they can say, well, we've been here three, four years already. So this is why we, we, we can qualify for asylum. Mike, as, as it stands, we have a border security system which is completely dysfunctional. Yeah. Uh, Without people... a border and it's not very secure. Well, absolutely. And we have a border force that doesn't believe in the concept of national sovereignty and nation state borders, which isn't particularly helpful mm. um, in, in this situation. As I said, I think Britain can take a great deal of pride as a rich history when it comes to rehoming the world's most persecuted peoples. But there has to be a proper system for that. There have to be appropriate procedures to be followed. And as it stands, the current situation is dysfunctional. It does um, pose a threat to social cohesion and and, the, and more than anything it's queue jumping the current system when really we need to focus on groups who are most at risk of violence and persecution in their home countries. Mm, absolutely right. Dr Rakiba Sand, thank you very much indeed, social policy analyst and writer of course. Matthew says this um, from Newport. Mike, you keep saying your programme will tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and yet you have dismissed Lord Geist's resignation letter. This is tantamount to censorship <laughs> as openly criticises Boris Johnson in a very damning way. If it doesn't fit your narrative, it doesn't fit your show. Well Matt, listen, um, I can tell you i don't cover every single story i don't think geist is a particularly important story you may think it is you've obviously read the letter good luck to you uh, very much indeed we also haven't covered uh, the scottish nhs site that says a eunuch is a gender we'd like to have done but there's no time we also haven't covered the duchess of cambridge today meeting sajid javid the health secretary there's loads more stories that we haven't covered it's not really censorship though is it matt keep your hair dry this is uh, Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.